Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Fresh Perspective podcast. My name is Michael Mazeritsky. I'm the president of Milestone Asset Management Group with offices in Avon and in Milford, and I'm your co-host for this show. And my partner in crime is Rich Lopresti, a certified financial planner um, that runs our Milford office. Hey, Rich. Hey, Mike. How's it going? It's going well. How are you feeling? I know you had some uh, snuffles uh, a couple of days ago. Yeah, the allergies this time of year, but uh, doing well, doing well. Well, it's, it's good to hear you sound Thank great. You. <laughs> um, so today's uh, podcast is is a very interesting um, show, if you will. We get asked all the time. We, we talk with prospects, prospective new clients, and we kind of always get asked the same questions. And sometimes we help prospective clients as they're interviewing us and other advisors with some of the questions that they should be asking other advisors just to make sure that whoever they decide to work with is a good fit for them. So after kind of repeating ourselves over and over and over again, Rich and I decided to put together a show, a podcast around questions, 15 essential questions that you should be asking a financial advisor as you are looking to hire someone to help you with planning and portfolio management and just kind of get you ready for whatever goals you've outlined for yourself. Um, how do you feel about this topic, Rich? Uh, it's a great topic. Very important topic. Very good. I agree with you as well. There's so many advisors out there and um, some of them are advisors. Some of them are commission-based salespeople. Some of them, again, there's nothing wrong with that, but we just want to understand exactly who you're dealing with. And hopefully this show will give you some perspective on which questions to ask. So let's just jump right in. Um, and the first question you should always be asking, in my opinion, and I'm sure Rich agrees with me as well, is if the advisor is a fiduciary. What do you think about that question, Rich? And what does it mean uh, when somebody is a fiduciary versus not? Well, it's one of the most most important questions, I feel. Uh, fiduciary just sim- simply means that you have the best interests of your client First, you put them first above all, which is sometimes tough to do for certain people because of certain setups, which we'll we'll get into later on. But an advisor should always have your best interests first. That's at its simplest, at its core. Yeah, that is exactly correct. And and just to kind of give you a brief history of why we are highlighting the word fiduciary, uh, it came to light. A little while back, I think it was the last year of Obama's administration, um, where they were trying to push through what they call the fiduciary rule. So when you are dealing with a financial professional, that financial professional is either what they call the registered investment advisor or an investment advisor or financial planner. Now, what's the difference? The difference is whose interest they have first. When you are dealing with an an advisor who is representing a company, for example, you know Merrill Lynch, UBS, Edward Jones, they're all great firms, they're all great big companies, they have high satisfaction rates and so on. Uh, but those advisors are not required by law to act in your best interest. doesn't mean that they don't do the best job that they can for you, but legally they don't have a requirement to act in your best interest. They have what's called a suitability requirement. Essentially, what that means is that as long as the recommendation that they're giving you is suitable to you based on your 
risk profile, for example, uh, then the investments or products that they're recommending to you don't necessarily have to be the best for you. They can have a commission component to it. They can have different type of uh, stack ranking that the individual might be getting compensated on. As long as that information is being disclosed to you and you're aware of it, again, there's nothing wrong with it. But when you're dealing with a fiduciary, so fiduciary, for example, our firm, Milestone Asset Management Group, we are a fiduciary. What that means is that we are legally liable when we give you advice. We have to prove that the advice we're providing you with is in your best interest. We don't have any conflict of interest. We are not able to receive commission. We're not able to receive any kind of variable compensation, incentives. In other words, there is nothing in the way we get compensated that blinds our ability to provide the best possible advice to our clients. Would you agree with that, Rich? I do. So, I mean, just to, to take it a little further. So, I mean, suitability is definitely very important. Like you said, it's based on your age, your risk tolerance, time horizon, goals, values, et cetera. But advisors who, who work for broker dealers or large institutions are probably most likely very good people. You're going to find good apples there and you also find bad apples. Just even in, in the fiduciary world, I'm sure you might find someone who who is really not a fiduciary, even though they say they are. But for those big institutions, those advisors are beholden to the products and services that their institution provides. So what happens is there's different costs and different things that are associated with that. As opposed to being an independent fiduciary, you we're not beholden to any products and services. We don't have a hidden agenda or anything, uh, any products or services that, that we need to sell this month or that month. You know, we're, it's it's the best interest again of of the client. So to to further what you're saying, there are certain products and services that you can buy an index fund, but would it be an A share index fund where there's a higher cost than just buying a Vanguard index fund, which has literally no cost? One's going to do better over time, even both, even though both are very suitable for the client. Uh, but those subtle differences over the lifetime of a plan can make a big big difference. Yeah, and that's exactly it. And again, we're not saying that one uh, one option is necessarily worse than the other. Though what we're saying to you is that as a consumer, as a as somebody who is looking to find somebody who is a trusted advisor, you just want to make sure you understand exactly um, who do you work with and whether or not the individual that you are working with is legally obligated to do what's in your best interest rather than his. Or hers, and there are a lot more education out there now on the difference between a fiduciary and a non-fiduciary, and uh, more and more people are being more educated around that topic. I mean, we get requests all the time from potential clients asking us, "Are you a fiduciary?" And when we ask them, "Well, what does fiduciary mean to you?" They explain to us exactly that: I'm looking for somebody who has my best and only my best interest. Uh, in mind. So one of the first questions you should always ask someone is that, are you a fiduciary? Do you have to follow a fiduciary standard of care? And if the answer is no, then the advisor may not necessarily be giving you the advice that you can trust. The next topic are credentials. Now I'm going to go to Rich with that one because Rich is a certified financial planner 
here at the firm. So Rich, you want to talk a little bit about that designation, just credentials in general, and then I'll kind of chime in with what my thinking on that is. Well, credentials are, are obviously, it's, it's education. So a certified financial planner is one such designation where you have to <laughs> go through hours and hours and hours of, of, of schooling and keep up on continuing education um, and are held to a higher level of fiduciary <laughs> standard of care. So a certified financial planner is one said designation that you could, could look at um, and know that it kind of has, a, I guess, a seal of approval as well. But there are, again, certified financial planners that do work for broker-dealers and insurance companies and such that, again, are still beholden to the products and services that their institution is, is providing. But again, they are putting your, your best interests first. Yeah, it's a very interesting point. You know, I believe that um, having a certified financial plan designation is certainly demonstrates the commitment of the advisor to the education and doing the best that they can. But you also also want to take a look. There are other designations in the industry. You also want to be aware of the fact that, like Rich said, just because somebody is a certified financial planner doesn't necessarily make him a fiduciary. There are a lot of in, insurance. Uh, um, representatives that do have this designation that obviously are not acting in a fiduciary capacity. There are a lot of advisors on the broker-dealer side of it when they're representing a company. So they kind of go back to the first question, is that are there a fiduciary? Just having a certified financial planning designation doesn't automatically make you one. However, there are a lot of fiduciaries that do have the designation. Uh, in addition to it, but that's a very good starting point uh, when you have what's called a CFP um, designation. But it does not change the question one, which is, are you a fiduciary? And just because they have the designation doesn't automatically make them one. Anything to add to that, Rich? No, I mean, I think it should go without saying that <laughs> you should be a fiduciary at, at all times, regardless if you have a designation or not, you know, always putting putting the client first. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree with you. I don't personally have a certified financial planning designation, but it doesn't stop me from acting in the best interest of uh, our clients uh, here at the firm. So you're absolutely right. One doesn't preclude the other, but you know, anytime someone new comes in, we have interns that come through the summer uh, here at Milestone. And um, anytime they ask me, so what's the best step one in, in, in sort of doing what you do and how do I get in? How do I get educated on all of this? And I always tell them, go get your CFP, get the designation. That's a phenomenal base to have if you don't have any experience. And I've been doing this for 21 years, so I have a pretty decent base, I'd say. But somebody who's getting in who's new, I think if you're really serious about being successful in, in our industry and really, really helping clients, I think a certified financial planning designation is a must, uh, in my opinion. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, the certified financial planner it has a whole list of things that you have to follow. It's, you know, duty of loyalty, duty of care, duty to follow instructions. And it's, you know, it's from, again, placing client's interest above all else, but also avoiding conflicts, you know, disclosing everything, you know, about an investment, the good, the bad, you know, how it fits into their overall plan. And, you know, you know, the duty of care is just, you want to have prudence, you want to have diligence, you know, in light of the client's goals and targets, you know, things change, always kind of staying on top of their 
um, circumstances, and then also, you know, complying with what the client wants, whatever the client is actually saying to you, uh, you have to obviously articulate that back to them and then provide that that service. Because Mike, you know, when it comes down to it, people do business or, or you know, they find advisors who they know, like, and trust. And it's not a one-time thing where you just come in and sit down and say, hey, how are you? Here's your solution. You know, it's a lifetime relationship, partnership, not only with them, you know, their spouse, their family, and pretty much everybody that that they do care about, you know, because, you know, money is obviously important. Most people work their whole lives for the accumulation of money so they can retire and do other other things. And, you know, we have to, obviously, it's, it's you know, something that we take very seriously and need to help them, you know, them achieve. So it's, it's, it's a partnership. It's just, you know, it's just not about us. It's, it's, it's about them and their family. Yeah, no, that makes total sense. Um, okay, moving on to the next question. I think this is the, uh, also, I think this, this, this three questions, the first three questions really should be on your checklist regardless. Um, of whether you follow anything else that we'll discuss on our, on our podcast today, but the first three questions are super important. You know, are you a fiduciary? Do you have what your designation or experience is like? And I think the next one is how are you compensated? That's a very hot topic um, for us because, in general, financial advisors are, are compensated in many ways. You know, client fees, their sales commissions. Many times, they're both. You're getting they charge you a percentage of assets that they manage. And at the same time, that the mutual funds or products that they're selling you or putting into your plan provides a compensation via commissions to them. So the difference between a fee-only financial planning, which is a fiduciary, and a non-fiduciary is that we can't accept commissions. You know, the individual who are really working in your best interest are only get compensated by the clients directly for their services. Now, how do you do that? There's a couple of different structures. For example, at our firm, we have clients that work with us on hourly basis. They come in, they pay us an hourly rate, and then you know we, we go through a particular project with them, whether it's a retirement plan uh, or help them analyze and review their portfolios, and we provide them with feedback, and then it's up to them to go out in the world and implement it. And we get paid for the hours of work that we do for them. We also have clients that pay us a fee to not just do the plan and tax planning and estate planning for them, but also to manage their assets for them. So we charge them what they called an assets under management fee, which in my opinion is probably the best, the most correlated way to get compensated in our industry because when our clients do better, we do better. What does that mean? That means that if their portfolios grow and go up in value, so do our revenues or do our fees because our fees are based on the assets that we manage. So like the day that we had yesterday when the market dropped 700 points or so, that lowers the value of those client accounts. So therefore, the fees would go down. So it's a it's a direct way to kind of correlate and, and sort of align our objectives with the client objectives. Um, anything you want to add to that, Rich? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's just very interesting. So uh, the financial services industry has not evolved as much as a lot of other industries have. <laughs> um, and what I mean by that is, you know, a lot of costs have come down in other industries, uh, ease of access and, and, and choice. Um, but in the financial services industries, you kind of have the, the old world living with the new world. 
And I alluded to this example before of just a, say, a mutual fund or an exchange traded fund. So like Mike said, you know, we're charged a, a fee base to, to manage assets under management, but that also includes the relationship that also includes tax planning, that also includes retirement planning and all sorts of good stuff that, that come, come with that. But the underlying investments are, are very important, again, over the lifetime of a plan. So, you know, many people don't, don't, don't know this, but so iShares is, is a company, a very big company, BlackRock, you know, seven, eight trillion dollar company. So they do manage a lot of funds similar to, you know, Vanguard and some other institutions. But they have old legacy products that they have for certain advisors who, um, are, are I guess traditional or they're with traditional banks. And an example of that is the iShares mutual fund for the S&P 500. Right, so they have a mutual fund, and the underlying cost of that is zero point three five percent. So it's what they call thirty five basis points, or you know one third of a percent. Right, and that's just to get into an index of the S and P five hundred. Right, and there's also an iShares ETF. Right, now the ETF's expense ratio. Do you want to take a guess of of what that is, Mike? Well, I, I will be cheating because I would know what that is. So why don't you go ahead and say? Well, it's 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 point point zero three. Yeah, big so, difference. So zero point zero three compared to zero point three five. So <laughs> it's not even one tenth of a percent. It's I mean <laughs> more than ten times cheaper than the mutual fund, and it's basically for the same exact investment, except. The ETF is actually better than the mutual fund because you actually own your own cost basis in there, which is a whole nother story. So, but that's that's what we want to open your eyes to make you aware of that there there are different costs associated with that, and are these the best products and services to be provided to me for my solution? And that's what we do. We try to lift up the hood and show you this. And, and it's not only in investments; it's a lot of other areas. But I think this is very telling. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And then if you start adding commission on top of that, you know, A shares or C shares, I mean, you can be north of 2 3% fairly quickly. So it's just important for you to really, again, if you're okay paying that, that's completely fine. I mean, I'm not saying that one way is right. worse or whatever. You just want to be aware of it. It's all about disclosing. And as long as you understand what is it that you're paying, if you feel like that's the best option for you, then you should do it. But at least asking the question and kind of knowing what that is, well, most people don't see it, Mike, because it's hard to see. So that's right. It is you know, pretty well hidden. You're right. For for ten years straight, your your portfolio is doing well. You're going to be pretty happy that your your portfolio doubled over you know seven eight year period if you're in the S P five hundred because that's what it did. But you know, having zero point three two percent more, you know, over a 10, 15, 20, 30 year period is is going to be a significant amount of of assets. Yeah, plus the growth that you could accumulate. And you're absolutely right. I mean, every little fee makes a difference. So the more you know, the better decision you can make. Um, I mean, we could spend the whole podcast talking about that, and maybe we will. But uh, let's move on to the next one. And I think the next one is a very interesting one. It talks about the minimums. So it's it, it's a very interesting topic because uh, I, I know a lot of advisors that don't have a minimum, and I know a lot of advisors that do. Um, just because somebody has a minimum doesn't necessarily make them a better choice. Doesn't make them a better planner. Doesn't make them a better necessarily fit 
for you. But usually when you have a firm that has a minimum, it's it's pretty telling on the fact that they are able to go in and draw the line in the sand and say, okay, here's where we do our best work. For example, Milestone, our minimum account balance is half a million dollars. And the reason why we set it this way is because that's where we do the best job. So if somebody comes into us and they have a less than that amount of money, we would still potentially work with them on an hourly basis. But in order for us to do the best job that we can, we feel like the level of assets have to be at a certain amount. We would just refer them to somebody who might be a better fit for them, potentially. Um, anything you want to add to that, Rich? I don't want to be the only one talking here. <laughs> I mean, you can't you can't serve everybody, and that's what it kind of goes into. Is you know, if 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 you don't have a minimum, you're ex, you know you're you're basically taking on every single client uh, or or person that comes along. And are they really truly a client? Do you really know them? You know, are they just a number? Do you have time for them? Do you know them? And you know, when you're just bringing everybody on, well, I mean, we're humans. We only have a certain amount of bandwidth. Now, mind you, we have the best technology that's out there. Um, you know, that allows us to make, <laughs> you know, our capacity even greater, but you don't want to take everybody on because going back to having a relationship, a partnership, you know, we want to know everything about our client as it pertains to, you know, their, their finances and what that money actually means to them. Um, it's just not, you know, putting things into investments and then just letting it go. Yeah, that's, that's a very valid point. And that's, you know, that should be another telling uh, question for for you if you are looking for a financial planner is that you're right the capacity is the biggest limitation that uh, a firm has because uh, the boss can only fit so many people and you want to make sure that you provide like for example for us to provide the best possible level of service we can and it's only doable when you have a limited amount of people otherwise it becomes very diluted um, so uh, having a higher minimum, just means that the potential of the firm is taking things a little bit more serious and maybe their service model is a little bit uh, more involved, which means that they don't want to serve as many clients, but the clients that they do serve, they try to provide the best possible service to them they can. Now, it kind of leads me to the next question around what services do you provide and uh, what kind of clients do you work with? You want to take that, Rich? Yeah. Well, you know, again, it's it goes back to what I was telling you. The, you know, what what is the experience? You know, do you have time for them? Are you going to be very thorough? You know, when you when you are introduced to them, you know, or is it just again a one size fit all you know solution? And you know, everything here is is very cust- customized to again what a client's needs are. You know, the majority of our clients. Or people who are, you know, approaching retirement or in retirement, which is a very critical point in their, in 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 their lives, right? Going from accumulating funds, saving funds, you know, to all right, now I have to distribute my funds and, and take those funds out of my account to live off of. You know, what is that experience? What does that look like? What is the process? You know, is it automated? How much involvement do I have? You know, am I able to? enjoy the things I want to enjoy, you know, my grandkids travel, you know, here, there, everywhere. And, you know, we try to look at all aspects of that for the client when on onboarding them. And, you know, when we talk to clients too, you know, they may not be a fit for us, like Mike alluded to. So we're also, 
you know, kind of interviewing them to see if, if we can help them, you know, with the services that we provide. So, you know, very methodical, very detailed, but very personal as, as well. You know, it's not just about the numbers. I think the best uh, analogy here is, you know, if you have um, a dental problem, right? If your tooth hurts, you're not going to go to a regular physician with it. You're going to go to a dentist. And you really shouldn't go to a physician for that because they can't help you. And if they tell you that they can, they're not going to provide you with the same level of service that a specialist would. Um, So if you have a specific need, for example, our firm works with individuals over the age of 50 that are within 10 years from retirement or retired. That's the area that we chose to concentrate on. That's where we do the best possible work for them. That's what we specialize in. So if you're looking to you know, retire, or if you're looking, you have a different other sort of lifetime uh, event, you want to try to find the advisor that is not necessarily a generalist, but a specialist. Because if they do um, the service that you're looking for, if that's what they do all day, every day, you're going to get a much better value out of that than somebody who kind of dibbles into it, but does a whole bunch of other stuff um, on the side. I'll give you another example, estate planning. If you go to an estate planning attorney that does some estate planning in one day, a bunch of real estate transactions in the other day, does some probate on you know a different day during the week, doesn't mean that they're not qualified to help you with estate planning, but wouldn't you want to work with somebody who just does estate planning every single day, eight days a week? Kind of the same thing goes with our space because I mean the money is the most intimate thing you have and um, being able to make the right choices with your money, you might not get a do-over. So looking for a specialist, I think it's it's very important. Um, and also it's important to make sure that the specialist fits into the parameters that you're looking for. Um, in addition to services, again, depending on what is it that you're looking for, a specialist, for example, with us, we provide tax planning, we have uh, a tax planner on, on staff, we provide financial planning, retirement planning, money management. So you just want to make sure that the services that the firm is providing uh, is holistic rather than a la carte. How frequently will you be in contact with me? Right, That's a fun one. Um, what do you think about that one, Rich? Well, I always like to communicate to, to my clients the way they want to be communicated to, right? So whether that's the phone, in person, Zoom, text, you know, we're, we're, we're available to them you know, 24 seven, I guess, you know, the rule of thumb, which there shouldn't really be a rule of thumb is, is you at least meet with a client for kind of a, a review or additional planning at least once per year. And, you know, that's very important for us, you know, especially with efficiency of distributions, with tax planning and all the, you know, the different things that we have going on, you know, it could be Roth conversions and such, but we want to get it, get it right. You know, it's, it's numbers, right? It's math. And we want to make sure we get get that right, but uh, you know we want to be communicating to our clients the way they want to be communicated to, um, you know, because we're there. And I, it's it's I guess it's a nice touch too. You know, you don't necessarily need an advisor to kind of wish you a happy birthday or if there's an anniversary. I mean, those things are all fluffy and and, and nice. Um, I guess the, the true uh, part there is again, it's 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 improving their overall plan, showing how things are progressing show where they stand because we want them to, to, to sleep at night. And, you know, uh, you know, I tell clients when they come on board, you know, my job is to, is, is to make them spend more money than they think they actually can spend. 
uh, is, is one <laughs> and, you know, grow their assets in an efficient and effective way to, to be able to provide for that. Um, it is the numbers and we have all of the facts and, you know, we want to over, over deliver, under promise and over deliver. Uh, but at the same time, you know, we are, we are human, right? And they are human. And it's all again about the relationship. It's a long-term relationship. You're absolutely right. I, I think it's important um, when it comes down to the frequency of contact is that you know exactly what to expect, right? Your advisor should be able to say to you, here's what we do, here's how often we will contact you, and here's what we're looking to do during those contacts. It should be a premeditated process, if you will. We call them workflows internally. There should be a process as to why they contact you how often they contact you, and what is it that they're trying to do in order to help move you forward towards your goals. Uh, whether it's quarterly, semi-annually, annually, we have, you know, we usually contact our clients quarterly, uh, but we have clients that want to contact us, uh, have us contact them every six months, which is completely fine, but there are certain things that we have to do throughout the year in order for us to do our job. For example, we need to get your tax returns. You know, we need to review things in November. We have this new plan tax provision coming out right now. And depending on what the outcome there is, we might have to have an ad hoc meeting with a lot of our clients. So though that, you just want to understand how does this firm work with individuals like you and how do they help me, uh, you move forward on what we call our financial planning roadmap. Yeah, I mean, we even contact you know clients just kind of out out of the blue, or you know, we do podcasts such as this. Um, you know, we send emails out, or we do different videos, you know, for our clients if there's different events in the market, or you know, if there's a, I guess, a sustained you know downturn in the market. You know, we're reaching out proactively to our clients and saying, hey, well, maybe the market did correct ten percent, but let's look at the silver lining and see, well, maybe we can do that Roth conversion now because. Yeah, asset prices are a little lower, and we're going to get a better benefit when you know they do recover, you know, uh, you know, throughout the the next year or two. So it's 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 always a proactive thing as well, not not reactive. Yeah, and it actually goes back to our earlier point about having a limited amount of clients because when you have too many clients, you, that that proactivity declines because you just physically have only so many times during the day, during the week to do. Um, certain things, and uh, you know, I, I think the 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 next question is, is a really important question, and it has to do with retention. Good firms have high retentions, and they meaning that the clients don't leave them. Like we have almost ninety nine point nine percent retention. Now, clients don't leave us; they stay with our firm, and it's important because it tells you that you're doing something right. And at the same time, we always offer to our prospective clients to talk to as many of our clients as they want to, and having an ability to get references from existing clients absolutely should be part of the process uh, that you go to. Ask for two or three names and follow up with these people, and Kind of talk to them and see how long they work with an advisor, what they like about them, what they don't like about them. You also can take a look at Google reviews. You know, we have all north of 30 reviews between uh, two offices that we have. Um, and, and you can read them and it gives you a glance of what it's like to work with this advisor from an actual client um, that they're servicing. Um, anything you want to add to that, Rich? No, I think that's great. And, you know, you know we also do check in with our clients as well. Uh, and try to try to see if there's anything that 
you know, we're not doing that they expect from an advisor? Because that's a great question for you to ask. You know, what what do you expect from me as an advisor? You know, what are your expectations coming in? What do you think, you know, advisors should should do from your perspective? So we're on the same page. So again, it's communication both ways, right? Because you know, I might take something for for granted. And I'm like, okay, well, we have technology, so they're looking at the portfolio every day, so they can see all the changes. Everything is transparent, but maybe they do want to hear from me. Maybe they want to have some perspective, be, you know, behind the change in the portfolio. So it's always always staying on top top of things. Yeah, no, productivity is is is, is super important um, because you don't want to feel left out. Um, so hopefully, this this. Uh, episode was helpful to you if there are any questions that you guys have if there's any feedback or comments you know certainly feel free to reach out to us our website address is milestoneamg.com you can you can call us at the office the number is 8602594800 so as we conclude is there anything else you want to add to this rich i just think finding the right advisor is is one of the most important decisions that you make um, you know, no decision that you make is, is you know, ever set in, in stone, at least with us, when you make choices, if, if we're right for you, we're right for you. If we're not, we're not. But, but what I mean by that is, is that there's also <laughs> an urgency part of this, too, because you do not want uh, to put your life savings in, in the hands of someone that you don't trust or you don't know. So you don't have to go all in at, at, at once. You can kind of dip your toes in the water as well. You know, obviously, if something goes wrong, you can recover from it. But the last thing I would leave is there are websites as well from the regulators that you can go on uh, through the, the NASDAQ where you can actually look up and see an advisor's history if there's any complaints against them or any nefarious activities. Uh, so you can kind of have a safeguard there, um, as well as go to, you know, different sites like the CFP or NAFTA, and you can search for different advisors there that have, you know, said credentials and such. But again, that's just the first, that's just the first step. And I would also interview, you know, one or two advisors as well, um, you know, looking to change advisors just to get a different, fresh perspective. Um, You know, it, it doesn't, it doesn't hurt. It doesn't hurt to see what other people are thinking out there. So, um, you know, it's just like a doctor, you know, you go in, get a diagnosis, maybe you want to get a second opinion. Not not a bad thing to do. That's absolutely right. We'll put the uh, links to the uh, in our show notes uh, to all these various databases where you can go in to check disclosures on advisors, whether they've had any complaints or any kind of litigations or arbitration against them. I think that's a very valid point. It's important to see that. But I think the best thing you can do is just go in and meet with the person and see what the process looks like. You don't have to make any decisions. There's no commitments of any kind. And just make sure that there is a connection between you and them. Uh, and if there is, maybe that's a match for you. And if there isn't, then you just move on to the next person. There's plenty of people you can talk to. Uh, but we we, you know, we appreciate you tuning in. Uh, hopefully you found this show helpful. Like I said, if there are any questions or anything that we can help with, uh, just let us know. Otherwise, um, thank you all for tuning in. And uh, well, until the next time. All right. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone.